I've come to believe that among the holiest places, the most sacred settings that I visit regularly, are the parking lots of my children's schools. For as much as in any church or temple or house of worship, this is the site of how many countless blessings and prayers uttered each day. As someone who weights words fairly heavily, I have probably been overly concerned with just how precise my last words to my children should be each day. Because the truth is, sometimes they come in all kinds of ways. It's sometimes amidst that early morning haze. It's sometimes after a difficult morning at home. And sometimes amidst the blaring soundtrack that has been chosen by whoever's turn it is that particular morning. And so sometimes my words are aided by others. I don't know if you have heard this, but Snoop Dogg now has a children's album. Some of y'all are going to look this up, believe me. It includes the track Affirmation Song. And so my six-year-old B will just jam along in the back seat as Snoop Dogg says, there is nobody better to be than myself. Or today's going to be an amazing day. Important affirmations that then lead to my own. We pull up, the music turns down, sometimes there's eye contact, sometimes there's a wave, sometimes there is a quick embarrassed shuffle away. I love you. Be a good friend. Have a great day as the car doors close. And then probably my most repeated phrase to my children, which is itself a sort of schoolyard benediction, remember who you are. Those words that first ring out from the parting sky over the Jordan River, this is my beloved, the voice is heard to say. And with that booming identity, we are all covered as we listen in. This echo carries us all forward. It invites us all to remember. And so much of the life of faith is that, is learning to acknowledge and remember and trust just who we are. And so we need to notice these words of Jesus today in this sermon. You are. You are. Because so much of religion can become based in who we are not. It can become based in some notion that God is a heavenly parent who is unhappy with us as we currently are. God so often becomes, as the writer Anne Lamott once described, the judgmental perfectionist. The administrator in a gray suit who can't remember your name, but is always leafing through your files. And if this is your understanding of God, well then maybe you need to blend in the influence of someone who is ever so slightly more amused by you, or at least someone, Lamont writes, who is less uptight. But that's been the understanding of God that many of us has, have held, that has been shaped in us. Like the little boy who once alarmed his pastor, William Sloan Coffin, when he exclaimed that, quote, religion is all the things that you're not supposed to do. And isn't this one of the great failings of the Christian church? Those times when we have believed and practiced that our faith is so holy, that our connection to God is so sacred, that our religion so detached from the world that it can only be practiced in some way that is wholly separate. And if not literally, at least in our own rooms of personal piety where we determine those things to be avoided. And let's face it, if you've ever gone out in public and mentioned the word Baptist, well then you know that our tradition 
has been so guilty of the hyper-moralism that the great Baptist James Dunn once jokingly described with the phrase, I don't drink or smoke or chew and I don't go with girls who do. Because if you're living in the world, but assuming you're supposed to be wholly separate, well then you have to make a list of all of those things that are secular, that have to be avoided. Drinking, smoking, those have always made the list. And dancing and playing cards and going to movies and playing billiards have made the list over the years at various points. And of course, our sometimes twisted sexual ethics have been on the list and are still on many lists. And at our worst, sometimes people even make the list. Barbara Brown Taylor, the wonderful preacher and writer, describes how her sister Kate who, like her, did not grow up in church, began attending one after her son Will was born. Now Taylor, who is a pastor and a preacher, she was overwhelmed with delight, but she did not want her sister to know this, and so she played it coolly, and one day she asked her which service they attended. Well, neither one, her sister Kate said. Yeah, we just go to Sunday school and then we go home. When Taylor asked her why, she described how they had gone to the church service at first, and she had sat there after a few Sundays listening to the preacher just, quote, vent his spleen at God's enemy of the week, alcohol or the lottery or gay people or Santa Claus even, until she felt like she had just been beaten up. And one day, Kate said, I stood up in the middle of the sermon, I put my hands over my son's ears, and I led him out of the church, and now we just go to Sunday school, and we're a lot happier. Now, people walk out of a church for all kinds of reasons. But dear God, let it never be because of a narrow proclamation of the gospel. Let it never be because our preaching or our teaching is getting in the way of the good news. Let it never be because our list of don'ts and nots and shoulds and shouldn'ts is so long as to tangle you up as you seek to walk in the way of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Yes, so much of Christian religion can become based in that notion that God is unhappy. And so it is so important to hear these first words that Jesus says in our passage today. You are. And as you hear what he says, you are. We have to hear also what he does not say. He does not say, you could be. He does not say, you should be. He doesn't say, If you do it all right, one day you will become. He doesn't say you're supposed to be. He doesn't say you're encouraged to be. He doesn't say you should try to be. No, he just says you are. You are salt of the earth. You are light of this world. You are a city on the hill. Three primary metaphors that make clear our identity. You are the salt of the earth. You're precious. You are widely useful. You are meant to be poured out, never to dominate or to overwhelm, but to enhance. You are the light of the world, a seemingly small thing that can make a large difference, illuminating and shining in ways that only you can. And especially in places that need it, lighting up a room that has grown shadowy or dark, or guiding a traveler who may have lost their way in this world. And you are a city on a hill. You're a witness. You're right in the middle of it. You're not separate. You're not sectarian. You should be prominently in this world, in the center of things. You should be able to be seen from all who are around. This is who you are. Having blessed us in these previous words that we looked at last week, Jesus now moves into identity. 
telling us, describing for us who we are. It is his own sort of affirmation song. Jesus is not giving us a new role to play here. Rather, he is affirming who we already are. It evokes the words of the extraordinary writer Alice Walker. Quote, you don't always have to be doing something. You can just be. And that in and of itself is plenty. And how powerful, especially when we remember just whom Jesus is speaking to on that mount. Our passage today continues the sermon. And it includes all of those that Jesus had climbed up the mountain to look at and to see. Naming and the Beatitudes, the challenges and the hardships of their lives. All of you who are mourning and meek and poor in so many ways, you are blessed. All of you who are persecuted and hungry and sick and frightened. Even those of you who had to be carried out here. The outcast, the misfit, the denied, the demon possessed. You, he says to them, you are. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to go someplace else. You don't have to be something other than you are right now, than you are created to be. You are salt. You are light. You are a city high as a witness of God's love. And he says it to them, and he's still saying it to us. You are, Jesus says to us today. So there's nothing we can do to become what God in Christ has already made us. But we do have to claim it. We have to embrace it. We have to know it about ourselves so that we can live it out and make it known in this world. Father Henry Nouwen, decades ago, wrote words that resonate still. As we join Jesus in looking out at this world that we can see from atop the mount, now in rights, we no longer have to ask ourselves if we are approaching a state of emergency in this world. We're in the midst of it, right here and now. And don't we expect the future to mirror the past? And it is in the midst of the shadows of this world that we are invited to live and to radiate hope. Is it possible now and ask, can we become light, salt? Can we be a city on the hill for our siblings and the human family? Can we offer hope and courage and confidence to the people of this time? Do we dare break through our paralyzing fear? Will people be able to say of us, see how they love each other, how they serve their neighbor, how they pray with joy? Or do we have to confess that at this place and time, we simply do not have the needed strength or the generous and willing spirits? What are we going to do with this identity? Because after Jesus tells us who we are, He tells us how we are called to live it out. He moves to implications of what this identity means in our lives. Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. He's describing a new way of living that comes to the true purpose of the Hebrew law. And it's not legalism. It's not moralism. Even within the Hebrew Scriptures, we hear a critique and a balance when the law becomes an end unto itself. The prophets Micah, Amos, and Isaiah all caution against strictly maintaining or performing one's religion. We read it together earlier in our service. This is the fast I choose, Isaiah thundered. To loose the bonds of injustice. To share your bread with those who are hungry. To bring the homeless, the poor, into your house. A new righteousness that expands and extends the law into the goodness of God's love, unconditional for this world. A new standard to live in a new situation. A new world that Jesus described as the kingdom of heaven. Mary Hinkle Shore, New Testament scholar, has said of this Sermon on the Mount, and especially this section here, that 
it is like Jesus' version of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Because Jesus is laying out an alternative reality. He's laying out a different vision for society. And he is also identifying for all of those listening your place in it. Your role in working toward it and bringing it about. And if we don't, well, salt can lose its saltiness. And a city can be destroyed. It can be razed to the ground. And the light of Christ can be hidden. It can be smothered. We can cower overwhelmed by the darkness as though there's nothing we can do. Or we can end up separating ourselves into our comfortable and safe, dimly lit rooms of personal piety that we so often call sacred. I think that's why some years ago, it became a practice in this church that when a person is baptized, professing their faith, saying Jesus is the Lord of my life, they were handed a candle right there in the baptistry along with that echo of Jesus' call to them. And so in recent weeks, we've had the chance to say Patrick Whitehead and Ellis Moody and Braden Hall and Perrin White. You are the light of this world. And perhaps we could sense the skies parting and the voice ringing out. Remember who you are. Because hearing it, and knowing it, believing it, and embracing it, it can change everything. And it did for those early followers. They were all there crowded around the mount. They were straining to hear. And they were hoping it could be true. And then they went from there living a life that said that they believed it. And we can do that too. The celebrated preacher the master storyteller Fred Craddock. He tells of an evening when he and his wife were eating dinner at a little diner in the Smoky Mountains of their native Tennessee when this older man came over to their table and he introduced himself. He was walking about and doing this, clearly working the room. I'm from around here, he said, and you look new to me. I'd like to meet you. Then he sat down at the table and he began to tell his own story. It went something like this. He described how his mother was not married and the shame that that community in Tennessee had directed toward her also became directed toward him. And so whenever he went to town with his mother, he could see people staring, making guesses about just who his father was. At school, he would eat lunch alone. In his early teenage years, he began attending a little church, but he always left the church before the service was over, because he was afraid that someone would ask what a boy like him was doing in church. And he was afraid that people would ask that question, often asked in churches, in smaller towns. Now, who are your parents? But then one day before I could escape, he said, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and it clutched me, and I turned around, and it was the minister. He looked closely at my face, and I knew that he too was trying to guess who my father was. And then he asked my name. Well, I'm Benjamin Walter Hooper, sir. And whose child are you? The minister asked. 
And before young Ben could answer, the preacher said, hang on, hang on. I see it now. Son, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. So Benjamin Walter Hooper, you go on and be who you are. The man described how this realization for him was like the beginning of a new life. As he walked away, Fred Craddock says that he vaguely remembered from when he was a kid. His father talking about a man named Ben Hooper. A man who had been born out of wedlock and called all of the things that that community had names for that. And how the people of Tennessee had twice elected him as the governor of their state. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. Beloved of God. Those in whom and through whom even now a kingdom of heaven is drawing near. So let us go. And let us be who we are. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.